Hello and welcome to the Tiny Plastic People podcast. It is a podcast and it is about tiny plastic people. We paint them, we play with them, and as usual, we're here to talk about why we think that's great. Uh, my name is Rich, I'm your host, and today I am joined by Tom G. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going all, all right, sort of a bit, yeah, yeah ready to talk a, bit, talk a bit about hobby and, and what, what we've been up to. Good. And we've got Michael. Hello. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I uh, impulse purchased the Gargant at the weekend. <laughs> oh, nice. So you're still riding that riding that financial high. <laughs> I was paying my table fee and I thought it'd be nice to a local business and don't make them pay like the card fee on a small amount. So should chuck a little something in there with it. I did exactly the same when I bought a can, can of Coke. Um, <laughs> I, I bought the Carnival... Um, box set just just a, it, i only went for a can of coke wow these things can happen and finally last but not least we also have jd with us hi jd hey up how's it going what? good thank you what did you impulse purchase at the weekend uh, i impulse purchased a hammerhead gunship nice okay. it was nearly a riptide but then i decided that no i, I probably should just stick with the tank because it's cheaper <laughs> <laughs> excess in moderation exactly well um as probably foreshadowed <laughs> by all of us talking about some weekend impulse purchasing uh we have uh we're recording this just off of the back of uh, a community meetup for the community we're all part of uh so if we spend a lot of time referencing things that happened at the weekend or games that we've played each other then that's why we're not just becoming some kind of tiny plastic hive mind. Yet. Yeah, although that new Tyranids book does look pretty good, so <laughs> maybe. Maybe soon. Uh, and if anyone cares, I impulse bought a Lord of the Rings army book because I was playing game of Lord of the Rings and got sick of scrolling through my phone <laughs> very quickly. So uh, on the Lord of the Rings front, I s- turned out that I managed to spontaneously generate a Lord of the Rings army over the course of the weekend as well, because I, I was staying at my mum's house and a neighbour of hers had heard I was in the area and gave me her son's Lord of the Rings army. What? Nice. Jackpot. Uh, it pays to be public about your hobby, right? Like, someone has always got a child or, like, a stockpile of stuff that they don't use anymore. And, yeah, you just end up with freebies. Yeah. My Lord of the Rings that I had a reasonably large collection of as a child was very much a victim of the um, late teens, early 20s desire to purge any record of my teenage years from my life, and I'm really paying for it now. Going like, ah, it'd be cool if I just owned all that stuff still, wouldn't it? And here I am buying it all again. I don't I... think I got rid of any of my like childhood or teen stuff, but none of that is Warhammer, because I never did Warhammer yeah. as a kid. But like, at my parents' is still with a box full of the little porcelain pocket dragons that I used to collect. So if I got back into those, I'd be head start on a <laughs> dizzying amount of like of that like money wise. But yeah, no Warhammer. Yeah, you're the rare adult Warhammer convert. Or oh, yeah. well less rare these days, I think, but probably I'd say still in a minority in our sort of group of friends at least. So we we foreshadow some some gaming and some hobbying uh, I know I did a lot of frantic hobbying to try and get ready for a weekend of gaming, and many others are the same. So 
whether frantic or not, what hobby have we been up to recently? Picking at random, I am going to pick JD to go first. Uh, yeah, so I tried to go uh, two for two on my record for, for our meetups, where I try and paint an entire army in a week, uh, the week <laughs> leading up to it, because <laughs> I'm I'm terrible for motivating myself to paint. Um, look, once I actually do sit down to paint and have the motivation, I'll, I enjoy doing it, but it's just getting there is really difficult. So for our previous meetup in um, Scotland, I did a thousand points of Stormcast the week before. Literally finished painting it the, the night before I got the train. Um, <laughs> and then it was the same again this time around, except I didn't get to quite finish everything I wanted to do. So yeah, I ended up painting a whole bunch of Celeste stuff, including finishing some stuff that I started over a year ago. So I managed to finally pretty much finish Sigval, My Lord of Pain, a bunch of uh, Myrmidash painbringers and some other... What was the other thing? Oh, yeah, some fiends. But, yeah, ended up getting trapped in Bliss Barbarcher hell for about three days. Because, <laughs> wow, those things are just a pain in the ass. But, yeah, I didn't manage to finish my Bliss Bab seat, cause, but that was fine because I only used them in one game. Those uh, those silks and beads and robes the, are the not going to paint themselves. The silks and robes are actually really easy because it's just slap some volipus pink contrast over it and then you, you're away but it's, it's all the like trying to make sure you don't get on the skin and they've got all the little jewels and gems and all those horrible little details that you've got to then pick out and yeah that was that was just the longest the longest thing i think making sure that it was relatively neat so the army that you already had like painted and stuff like were you just not enthused to run that or are you someone who only really gets motivated to paint when there's like an impending deadline so like you like to do this to get stuff actually done because to me the idea of like having to paint stuff for an event is not a positive one uh it's a little from column a a little from column b right um like but mostly yeah like an event or an upcoming game or something is is a really good motivator for me to actually do stuff and i enjoy sort of i don't know i work it's the same with like all aspects of my life really i work a lot better under pressure (laughs) like than i do if i give myself plenty of time and giving myself plenty of time would be the better option like probably i just can't face doing it so i'd rather just wait and then just do it all in one one very frantic burst of energy spoken like a true university student yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> well, the less said about that at the moment the better <laughs> nice and were you right, so... pleased with what you did get done oh yeah definitely i mean it's not the neatest stuff i've ever done but like I'm I'm not a I don't paint to a particularly high standard anyway because the painting side of the hobby doesn't give me the intrinsic joy that I think it gives other people. Like um, I wouldn't if I wouldn't do this hobby if it was just painting. Like if it was if there was no like game or lore or whatever attached to it, I I wouldn't do it. But I do enjoy painting. It's just yeah, I enjoy painting for a purpose. Like it has to be in service of so I can play a game with this army. That's fair. A higher purpose than Twitter likes. Is yes. that what you're telling me? Oh, okay. I don't, I don't yeah. get any Instagram or Twitter likes, so yeah, I need, I need a higher purpose than that. You, you never post anything, mate. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought, I mean, we played a game. I thought your stuff looked really good on the table. It's always nice to face off against a painted army. And I think literally, like, however you rate your painting or not, as soon as you're facing off, for me at least, as soon as you're facing off against a painted army, you know, whether that is, like, the most basic of basic, like, 
corn in a cave, dry brushed with some greys and with like one blast of OSL from an airbrush, or like the most lovingly painted heavy metal standard army. They're both just, you know, someone's put effort in, they put it on the table and it's fun to play against. So Walking past your table and like wandering over to take photos and stuff at the weekend, particularly remember when you were playing against the ghosts who were like another shade of purple. That looks phenomenal. Yeah. And yeah, the difference between how that looks and how it would look if yours was heavy metal on the table has such marginal gains at that point. Like the majority is like you've got most of the benefit there, right? So the level you paint at it it looks almost as good in the context it looks. Yeah, but, certainly yeah. like the, 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 the my ethos with painting is very much like does it look like a cohesive force on the table? Yeah, and if it does, then I've done a good job, in my opinion. Like I, I'm, I'm never going to paint heavy metal standard. I've got no interest in pursuing that. Like, I'm never going to enter a painting competition or anything like that because again, it just it's not really of any interest to me. But I love the idea of having a full army on the table that looks coherent and like effort's been put into it. And there's some things I'll definitely focus attention on, like being like my keeper of secrets and Sigvald and stuff. I put a lot more care into those than I put into you know, my legions of archers. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Just, you know, no one wants to lovingly paint one of 20 clan rats that's then going to be slid off the table by the handful into a bin bag. Well, I mean, maybe maybe they do, but um, I think... <laughs> Depends on what new clan rats look like when, when they eventually come out. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Being optimistic there. Oh, there's but... plenty it needs before clan rats, I think. <laughs> Yeah, even need some love, but clamorous are at least plastics. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else in the recent last few weeks, JD? Any other painting or games? Or uh, very I mean, the, week, the weekend before the meetup, um, I obviously was at your house, and we had oh, yeah. we had we, we had a big game of forty k with Pete and Krona from the the community. That was yep. great. Um, that was like. A mostly unpainted Tau army that had been lightly airbrushed like an hour before they arrived. <laughs> and how many turns did we get through? One. Yeah. <laughs> one, one full turn. One measly turn. But uh, it was still fun. It's always nice to lay stuff out and push it forward. Kill a couple of Tau, kill a couple of Eldar, go and have watch, a big watch burger. A, watch a ghost kill do nothing except explode. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. Mm. What else could you possibly need? Tom, how about you? What hobby have you been chasing recently? Well, my, my main hobby um, ahead of the meetup was to try and get my Knight's Armager finished because I've got my Imperial Knight's Army, which until... It, it's one of my accidental armies where I started off getting the Imperial Knight's Renegade box, which has two knights in it. Then I made my Knight Castellan, which I've talked about this podcast before. I thought, well, what I really need here is some some armages as well so i've got two war glaives and two of the the helverins that's the one helverins but i didn't really like the default weapons either of them have the, the, the so the war glaives have a weird little stubby chain sword and the helverins have their two arms with a gun on each arm and i found a website um tarot model model maker um, who does some conversion parts for them, and what those allow it to do is so I've got I got the for the Helverins, I got a one arm which it has two auto cannons on one arm, 
and so the other arm Ooh. is now holding a large shield. What, what are those um, boarding shield for oh, the? Cool. So I've got the armatures with the boarding shields, and then the warglaves. I've replaced the chainsword arms with an actual sword arm on the end on the end of it on the end of arms. It's, it's part of the arm rather than held holding a sword because I think that's because they do have options for holding swords as well. But that feels very much like the um, the Grand Masters from the Grey Knights army, which sure. is not quite the aesthetic I wanted there. And what's also really cool is that this um, website does these parts you can put onto the waist of your knights to make them taller. Oh, oh that's so, cool. So all of my knights have gained about a centimetre of height. Which is a problem when trying to fit them in a box, but it make it <laughs> uh, the the. I, I don't know if anyone else feels this, but I've always felt that the Imperial Knights are a bit oddly proportioned. They they don't have much of a waist. So now I've got these, it's like yes, this much works much better for me as a portion. It's only a very small part, but it really does make it work a lot better for me. So we'll, we'll probably put the link in the show notes. But that was Tarot Model Maker. Um, they sell resin, loads of resin conversion parts, which fit really nicely with the various Imperial Knights that are put out. So I, I ordered those bits online. They delivered really quickly um, and spent a happy weekend just magnetizing them, gluing the, these knights together. Didn't quite manage to get them fully painted in time for, in time for the weekend, unfortunately, which is pretty much why you guys didn't really see them. Um, I did but... see a box with them, with them all stood in, and I admired them through the plastic. And I think they look pretty cool. Yeah, so I'll be putting, once I've got them finished, hopefully be over this next long weekend, I'll be putting posts on the on, on our various websites and on my Instagram. But it's really it's really satisfying when you've got a project which you've been putting off for a while because you think, oh, I don't, I don't really like these models that much. But you can make little tweaks to them and go, actually, now I really like how these models are now. And nice. it, it really helps as well that the Imperial, at the moment we're going through all the various Imperial Knights previews i suspect when this podcast comes out the codex will be out so i will suddenly have a sort of 2000 point knight army with a whole new codex and be enviously looking at the new chaos knights as well because why why only have one knight army when there's now the new chaos knights as well they need a friend yeah it's a fight yeah i can run large apocalypse games just using my knights (laughs) um just just only your knights I'm glad you found a way to take models that you're not so keen on and find a way to make them work for you because I find what tends to happen if I start painting something and then it turns out I'm not very keen on it is that it goes in the cupboard and is never seen again. <laughs> so, yeah, good on you for finding a way around that sort of endless Warhammer purgatory that is the cupboard of unfinished projects. So what did you get games in with at the weekend if you uh, weren't playing with your knights? So so on the Saturday I was entirely playing Necromunda and nice. having not having not brought any of my own Necromunda models I was trying out Necromunda for the first time and we'll perhaps get into how that went a little later um, but I think it's yeah. fair to say I had a lot of fun with it and on the Sunday I had my Sisters of Battle which I had as a kill team. These are my Sisters of Battle, which I converted out of Chaos Warriors. And I completed the army just before the new Plastic Sisters were announced. <laughs> so, so we have you to thank. It's a combo <laughs> effort from you and Drew. Drew finishing a load of metal ones and you converting up uh, some different plastic ones. Thus yeah. the announcement of new Plastic Sisters. 
I yep. thought Drew did his after the announcement, or am I doing him dirty? Uh, I think, I think for once you might be doing him dirty there. Actually. Oh, okay. Like Sorry, I think Drew. he definitely had an army pre-announcement. He might have still been paying some stuff after announcement, or it might have been his motivation to finish them, maybe. But yeah, but it was nice to get them out on the table again, though, because I haven't been using them all that much lately, and they were they were my first army when I got back into the hobby the last few years. So that, that was nice. And then I also had a game of Crusade with my Death Guard against Tom F., also of this podcast. Excellent. Good variety of stuff. I was admiring your sisters when you were playing Kill Team. I think it's some really like clever conversions, given the stuff you were using at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have like a full 2K army of those? I suspect so. I think I've got about 30 sisters in various weapon forms so that's a squad so, so a squad with heavy bolters squad with melter guns squad with flamers fl- squad with storm bolters and then about 15 basic sisters i've got a couple of penitent engines which are the old metal ones got a few tanks oh, yeah. as well a few tanks as well um, a couple of cannonesses i've converted i've got a caness converted from the old archeon on foot model oh what a classic model so which sawed the metal head off of that and yep glued a sister head on it cool yep models are there to be used so anyone out there who's screaming um shut up so, <laughs> fight fight me um it looks it looks awesome it's um, a very cool and, model and i've also got a couple of squads of seraphin based on the the winged stormcast from age of sigmar oh the Prosecutors. Very yeah. nice. Mm. Yes. I was, I, was, I was leaving. I wasn't going to help Rich out. Very good of you to <laughs> not chip in there, Michael. Multiple thousands of points of Stormcast owner. <laughs> Leave the rest of us to flail. But well done, I, JD. I like the multiple thousand points of Stormcast as a bit of a portent for when I talk about my games. <laughs> it, it, it's quite a lot of thousand. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do, I, didn't, do you... I, didn't, I didn't want to do you dirty by either under or over claiming (laughs) I think you would try to over claim and accidentally under claim I think that's the magnitude of the problem we have here are we holding a small one day tournament against myself (laughs) levels of (laughs) army ownership now we're describing my stormcast as I have three armies they're all stormcast I have a warrior chamber a sacrosanct chamber and a vanguard chamber army, and nice. they're all decent sized. Cool. Well, talking about your stormcasts, then what hobby have you been up to, Michael? None. I didn't do any painting in the lead up to this, but between the last time and this time, I did paint one stormcast model, but it was the big one. It's the Crondis. Oh, um, yeah. And I talked before that I wanted to do something unique with him. And got the idea of, basically, if you look at him, what if, instead of just seeing a dragon, you saw Azir through him? And I like the idea, I like to think about Azir and the fact that it's not just the Stormcast City, it is a full realm. Yeah, There is everything going on there that you've got in other realms, and there's a lot to it. But specifically, I read Crondis Law, and he retreats off into the mountains and becomes... Bit of a guardian for the realms, so I thought, yeah, what if I paint 
mountains on him and then a storm on one side and like uh the sky with some celestial bodies in on the other side uh and that went remarkably well um so i got Unbe- him done unbelievably well <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just Very a cool. simple little ho- hobby project really wasn't it just well i I'd set myself a bar by trying to paint that tapestry on the imperitant which went okay, but that was tiny. That's like a two centimeter square canvas. That was difficult. This was like going the other direction. If you've got space to work in, but you have a lot of area to cover. And then once you've yeah. done that, you still have a dragon to paint. Like you still yeah. got to highlight talons and you still got to dry brush scales and stuff like that. And you got to do that if you want to make it look, you know, if you want to do the rest of it justice, you kind of still have to keep painting the dragon. So that did drag on a bit, but no. That's not stop it. Oh, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> awful. <laughs> Given that, yeah, I already have enough Stormcast to play games with um, comfortably, I could just rest on my laurels there, do other stuff in the run up, and not worry about what I was going to get to use. Nice. I wanted to get Grandis on the table, and that was about it. So, awesome. yeah, nice and relaxed. I was delighted to see that you got the the coveted hobby roundup nod. Oh yeah, with the Crondus. That was like it was it was on the weekend. Um, yeah, it was this on the was it the Friday? It was um, the Friday. Yeah, so it hadn't been picked up off the <laughs> socials. So shamelessly, I did email them because they say like if you're not on the socials, you can email in. Well, if you are on the socials, but they didn't give you the attention you wanted, you can still email in. Um, <laughs> And it did get picked up. So yeah, we were sat around. This was the Friday evening. We were sat around in the bar at the hotel. I knew it was going to be on. So we were all like watching it on phones. But it was nice to see um, Rouge, our friend Rouge, starting off appreciating everybody's models as they're shown on the roundup. And as we get close to the top of the hour and we think it's going to finish and he's worried that my model's not going to get on, just he was just trash talking about people's stuff. <laughs> He's like, Belligerent. That, that's just that's just a three-color space marine. Get it off my screen. I want to see the dragon. <laughs> it was very nice to have him stick up for me like that. Was... <laughs> While you're sat next to him going like, I can literally go and get it out of my hotel room <laughs> and show it to you in person. So me and um, Tom Dines from the podcast, we were staying at Pete's house. And uh, I saw it come up in the Discord. Someone mentioned that someone posted the uh, the screen grab of Crondis on the Hobby Roundup and I was sat there on Pete's sofa and just just went holy shit Michael got the got the Hobby Roundup it was it was it was, it was genuinely like really exciting moment oh, nice. <laughs> it's such a nice show it's lovely um yeah I should watch it more often guiltily I do only really watch it when I'm on I should uh... <laughs> And I enjoy it. I should watch it other times. Yeah, when I remember, I I do stick it on, and it's really nice to just watch sort of two people be fairly relentlessly positive about fifty pieces of hobby over yeah an hour, and just say, "Wow, that's cool." Next thing, oh, awesome. Next thing, like they don't even go as negative as ever saying anything like, "Oh, that's not." I don't normally like realistic weathering, but you've done it really well. Like. They're just always relentlessly positive, and it's super cool. The the most negative you'll ever get is that's a really hard technique, and you've pulled it off, kind of thing. So, yeah, very good mood booster, and especially when you get to see your your pals stuff on it as well. 
Yeah, and then uh, game-wise, um, on the Saturday, I played um, Wham Badger's uh, Bloodthirsters. That was a pretty game. Two people with a penchant for big models with enormous wings uh, <laughs> popped them down, and we both had similar levels of disdain for our infantry. He just didn't move his infantry at any point. He hated them. Uh, just pu- he just pushed his four bloodthirsters across the table. Uh, got them minced. We had a great time. Not even talking to these blood reavers. Scops did wander over and ask. She wanted to see Crondis in combat with the bloodthirster and was confused why he wasn't. And I was like, well, it would be not very tactically sensible thing to do. And she looked visibly shocked and was like yeah but why haven't you moved him across <laughs> there are two parts in this <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah I did some tactics um, I never remembered to do a monstrous rampage at any point in the weekend no but I did redeploy once oh yeah very nice That's... I basically just forget redeploy exists about 90% of the time I used it once on the Sunday morning when I played against um, Dines. So, so Sigvald stood there on his own, having just seen off a, a frost. Is it frost heart phoenix? And then the flight, the flame spire phoenix came over to help out. And as soon as he moved, I was like, "Nope, no, thank you. Don't want Sigvald to get counter charged." So I did redeploy, and I was very pleased with myself for having remem- remembered it. You actually used it in our game in the afternoon, so not you? Oh yes, I did. Of course, I did. Deployed some Myrmidesh away from uh, some Nurgle horrible the thing. Beast, beast of Nurgle. Nurgle. Yeah, probably. Yeah, talk about forgetting rules and memory and thinking. Oh, great! It's great to use these occasionally. I-, I was thinking on the way back on the Saturday that. One of the good things I think about how the games are at the moment, because I know people always complain about how there's a lot of complexity and rules bloat, for want of a better word, but I realised that a lot of the rules are actually quite additive. You're not playing it wrong if you don't use them and if you forget them. It's not like if you're doing this, if you forget this rule, you're playing illegally. It's just you're not taking full advantage of the of what the opportunities available to you. I think that's actually. I say, although there are issues with with play, if I forget to use my stratagems, all I've done is forget to use my stratagems. If I forget to use my monstrous rampage, all I've done is forget to use that, and the game is still correct. And there is a feel a bit bit of feel bad there of I didn't get to use everything to its full potential. I, I do get that, but I realise that actually that's that's probably quite a good place to be of it being things layered onto the onto onto it and it not mattering to the integrity of the game you you can't say someone cheated by de- not using their redeploy oh yeah like absolutely not i'm sure the game is competitively balanced for assuming that people are going to want to use about x number of command abilities per get battle round and they have enough command points for roughly like x minus 2 so there's some tactical decision making to do but yeah i mean you could totally get rid of command points and command abilities and still play a totally legit game of Age of Sigmar. Or, like you say, you could just forget to use them and only use your command points for the one that you remember exists and you're not, by any means, playing illegally. Yeah, we d- we left out the um, General's Handbook stuff 
which is obviously like a, a more obvious layer of stuff that yeah, you can put sure. on top. But it's also very much the default um, when you talk about the lay the game and any list building is it's assumed you're using battle tactics and grand strategies, but yeah, we simply chose not to. Neither of us had played in quite a long time. I was getting a bit flustered and overwhelmed. <laughs> and I was like, should we just play one of these? And it turned out to be, we just rolled for it. And it was three objectives across the middle of the board. And were there objectives? Oh, there were. We, we didn't even measure for them. Oh, no, we did. We just didn't always bother. And you got points for killing things that your opponent had. You got to like nominate three of your things as priority targets. So I was like, my heroes. And he was uh-huh. like, my bloodthirsters. Cool. We were going to try and kill those anyway. That feels right. <laughs> <laughs> Very much curated our own experience. Mm. And then my other game on the weekend was against Bean. And I only used my heroes. And only the heroes I took. So we're talking only 2,500 points on my side there. <laughs> The two oh, dragons being 11 between them helps, but obviously, yeah, oh, still another 1,400 points of Babby Heroes, because that's what I paint. That was really good, and we just went completely custom of, what does this fight look like? What are we doing? Being decided, what if my skeletons are occupying a town, and the Stormcaster here to try and kick them out? So we're like, cool, grab these four buildings. Bean starts off garrisoning them all. I've got to kick them out once I've emptied out a building. It's now like sort of done and out of the game. I only have to empty it out once. And I'm just trying to see how many of those I can liberate in some amount of game. And we'll just see how it goes. And it was really nice just to be able to craft that. Take control of like what game we're going to play. Play with some toys and have a lot of fun. I think it's really good to be able to sort of identify what you want out of any given game like when jd and i played on sunday we we said let's do a thousand point game because it you know we might be fighting for time at the end of the day and we both picked a thousand points and we were playing Magikin versus slash and we said do you just want to (laughs) like smash it into each other (laughs) you're like yeah do you think this might become a summoning grind fest yes as as it turns out Magikin having a lot of wounds and being quite resilient. It plays into Slanesh's hands quite nicely. <laughs> so, you know, we got we got through a turn and then a turn and a half, and then there was a Keeper of Secrets on the board, and then some fiends got summoned, and I summoned some Plague Bearers and another Beast of Nurgle, and yeah, I mean, we ended the game at the end of turn five, not really knowing who had won, but I'm well, I won't speak for JD, but I had a great time with it. Oh, it was, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Just, yeah. just um, playing Warhammer. At one, at one point, I was you were very you were humming and hiring over whether to summon a great unclean one, and I was I was desperately, desperately trying to prod you towards yeah, summon the great unclean one because then we can have a keeper of secrets and great unclean one fight and see what see what happens there. I mean, probably what happens yeah. there is the keeper of secrets does nothing and gets smacked in the face. But it would have been, it would have looked really cool. <laughs> I think that my ultimate resolution was that I, I wouldn't have got it until turn four if I was smart or possibly five. And I was pretty convinced that if I didn't summon something in the interim, that you would have completely murdered me by then. And I think that wound out being true. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs>
So what hobby did you do, Rich? Well, I have been a bit of a hobby butterfly recently. Um, I said to myself about a month, two months ago, probably more. It might even have been before Christmas. Basically, as soon as we knew this event was happening, I knew that I wanted to have 2,000 points of Tone Keepers Space Marines finished for it. And I was like, that's a good milestone. That's not stressful. And then like a week before, I had built the things I wanted to bring, but not painted them beyond priming. Uh, so that last week, I had a bit of a mad panic uh, and painted five Assault Intercessors and five Converted Vanguard Veterans and a Primaris Impulsor. So, you know, oh, and a Redemptor Dreadnought. <laughs> so, you know, just casually blasting out 12 models. But they all came out pretty good. I'm pretty happy with them. Uh, the reason for my kind of prevarication on getting to that is because I have become a little bit obsessed with the Lord of the Rings or Stra- what's it called now? Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game. So, over the last couple of months, I have just been sort of picking up a few models for a faction, painting them, and going, cool, they look good. And then doing some more for a different faction. Uh, so I've painted like a couple of Uruk High and some Easterlings and some Rivendell Elves and some Wag Riders and some Army of the Dead. And yeah, um, for some reason, I'm feeling very excited about Lord of the Rings at the moment. So I've now had a demo game with a friend and then using my sketchy knowledge from that demo game along with um, others sort of reading of the rules and memory of the older editions of the system. Myself and uh, Tom and Axolotl had a, a sort of little Lord of the Rings smash up at the weekend. I think all came away feeling quite positive about it. It's quite a nice system. It's not very complicated, but it's it plays quite a lot like a kind of resource management game because you have heroes uh, that have a stock of kind of ability points that will let them influence combats or movement kind of more efficiently. And yeah, so once you use all those points, you're kind of just stuck with your normal activation order. So knowing when to use them and what to use them for, it seems to be like where the tactical depth is in the game, really. Yeah, it's really fun. And it's just fun putting a load of little orcs on the table and going, but it's like the film. Where well, is for me anyway? <laughs> so you you found it like because obviously that system sounds like can be like optimized and you know there'd be the right time to play those, but you weren't finding yourself going like oh, I have to play this board game in order to like be able to do fun things just by going like oh I want to do this action now I'm going to throw the point down. You weren't going like horrible regret from that, right? Uh, no, no. I think there's a broad enough range of what you can do. Without going into too much depth, you've got uh, three different stats if you've got a hero's profile. So they have a stock of things called Might, which I guess are a little bit like command points in Age of Sigmar. So you could spend them to do a heroic action at the start of a phase. So the, the obvious one that I use the most is a heroic move where you can kind of interrupt the priority order and move that hero. And indeed, if you choose to kind of move warriors that are in a bubble around that hero as well, Mm. or at the start of the combat phase, you could choose to do a heroic combat. And what that means is you resolve that combat first 
And if the hero kills who he's in combat with, however many models that is, they get to move on and join another combat and then fight again when that combat is resolved. Oh, cool. So that's quite cool. So you can spend the might points on doing abilities like that, but you can also spend them to modify dice rolls. Hmm. So there's there's like a, I guess like a gamble there of... Um, do you really, really, really need to make sure that this that you win this combat and knock someone back, or do you really, really want to make sure that your like wound dice definitely kills them, or do you want to save it to do those perhaps more impactful abilities on the game state, but sacrifice the sort of immediate impact of winning the fight you're currently in? And they have some others like have fate points, which are like a a wound. Uh, almost like a ward save, but very, very limited resource. And will points, which are the currency that you use for magic, but you can also use to affect, I think, courage rolls now. Ah, okay. And any of those rolls that you do, so like if you make a fate roll, heroes often don't have a lot of fate at all, maybe like one for a generic hero. And you're just looking for a four up to ignore a wound that you've taken. If you say roll a three on that, you can spend a point of might to bump it up still. And then sometimes you're kind of like tempted to throw good money after bad in a way, and you can get into a real downward spiral of desperately spending resources. But yeah, I'd like to, I guess, get back on topic and answer your question. It doesn't feel... I'm sure probably there is a way to solve for it. Like there are probably certain heroes where it is a waste to do a heroic move rather than a heroic combat. But I expect Mm. there are still tactical situations where it would be right to do the other thing or it would be advantageous to do the other thing. And Sure, you might kick yourself afterwards, but it's not like some resource management board games where there is like a right way to build your farm or your power station or whatever. And you don't lose the ability to do anything. You just presume you just like fall back to that baseline level of everyone's always doing something. Yeah. And then sometimes in a battle you go above and beyond and Mm. really swing it in your direction. You don't just like Mm. Boromir doesn't just stop getting to act. It's just he can always (laughs) act and then once once in the battle he, you know, really goes for it presumably that kind of thing yeah yeah it's not like once he spends all his points and orc comes along and breaks his horn or anything <laughs> it's um yeah still activating or it's, it's literally only heroes that have access to these extra stats so you've still got a little army of warriors all acting basically individually and then you can just use your heroes to inspire encourage them to greater feats of uh film inaccurate Evil victory, in my case at least. I I very much get the impression that the because you, you're saying about some, oh there might be some heroes you can solve it for and know what what actions they should be taking, but I, I very much get the impression because it's quite a narrative game. The heroes that it's obvious what they should be doing. The reason it's obvious is because that's what they should be doing but narratively. That's what they're made for. Is the impression I get. So I imagine that. Aragorn will have particular moves that, of course, Aragorn's doing a thing where he's carving through lots of orcs. He's Aragorn, so it makes it the tactically optimal solution. The impression I get is it wouldn't feel out of character for him to be doing that, which I think is probably yeah. 
quite a good aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with game. that. Um, <laughs> Aragorn was given to me as an example recently of a an annoying hero because I think if you take like his "I am the king" final form, he has I think regenerating points, which almost no hero has. So he's very, very inspiring and very, very good at yeah, like you say, murdering a lot of orcs. But yeah, like you said, that doesn't feel wrong, like you say. I'd say the armies are bigger than you would normally expect for what you describe as a skirmish game. It's definitely not a rank and flank game, and it does, even compared to AOS and 40k, have a lot more skirmish energy to it. So you have the granularity to, you know, do things like if you were playing on Helm's Deep board, you could leap across to the causeway with your Aragorn and Gimli and make a roll to check that they made it and then fight a load of orcs on the causeway and stuff like that. So I think it it makes for some very thematic battles. I'm quite amused at the the parallel to other skirmish games such as Necromunda where you can do heroic leaps or you can attempt heroic leaps (laughs) and likely fail and as was the case in one of the games I had I decided that it was too slow for my gangers to take the ladder so they would leap down to the next level. <laughs> they did They did a group activation and the first one leapt down, failed their roll and landed in a heap. The second one followed their example, failed their roll, landed in a heap and then failed off, fell off the edge, as, edge of that ledge as well down to the ground <laughs> below. Uh... And <laughs> oh, no, the sort of... Telling. Yeah, it's 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 another narrative game. It's it's very different to Lord of the Rings. You would not get Aragorn succeeds at those jumps. The poor <laughs> chaos cultists I had. Did well, maybe not. that's a good segue then into um, the things what we want to talk about today that aren't just you know spending forty five minutes waxing lyrical about our own hobby. So. Following on from sort of that Necromunda experience, Tom, I think you wanted to talk about skirmish games more generally. Yeah, so one of my goals for the weekend was to get some introductory games in for the various skirmish games. So I got the games in for Necromunda, I got the games a game in for Kill Team. I enjoyed both of them. And in particular, I've been bitten by the radioactive spider that is Necromunda. Um, I, I was trying to work out what what insect to use there, but spider because that's actually the symbol of Necromunda is appropriate. Yeah, the sump rachnids, mm. something like that. I'm sure there's somewhere out there. There's some very talented Necromunda hobbyist who is converted in a Ragnarok spider into a big sump spider. I'm mm. sure that is the thing I remember seeing. Anyway, sorry, that's a massive segue. Carry on with your. Well, who knows? Maybe Games Workshop will put one out in Ash Wastes at some point. But, but yeah, it, I I really enjoyed Necromunda. It it's a game which looks quite complicated, and it has got a lot of complications. But, um, is it this is like what I was saying with the things being additive rather than deep complexity? That the basic system of rolling attacks and activating your models is actually quite straightforward and quite similar to Forty K, and then the extra equipment and the extra weapons is all added on top of that. So that appeals to me quite a lot. But what I wanted to um, talk to you guys a bit about is that 
obviously as a result of this, I'm now looking to put my first gang together. But anyone who's looked to say Necromunda gang and the options there will know there are a lot of weapon choices, a lot of equipment choices, and there are also sets you can get from Forge World and and, and various other places. And I think this is quite common to skirmish games that you have you only have sort of about at most a dozen models for your gang. So so what I find is you sort of face a bit of decision paralysis of oh what is the optimal loadout for my gang what skills should i give them what equipment should i model them with and so i was just wanting to see whether you guys had experienced that sort of barrier almost to starting a small scale project because i feel that when you're making an army you go okay i'm picking a unit and that unit is my investment for the next few weeks or days or however or hours if you're a really fast painter you have half a dozen to a dozen models in that and that's a size of investment and you select it as a slot whereas with Necromunda you spend I don't know 30 quid or so and you've got your gang but you then have a lot of choice within it so yeah it feels like there's a lot of small choices which are more difficult to feel like you've got right which I don't think is the way you should be thinking about it but I'm not quite sure how to approach it because I've got ideas but yeah, where where do I start? I've and, and not even from a rules perspective. I've got the rules, but just which, which gun do I give these things? I've massively experienced this. It's the main reason I've never picked up any Necromunda stuff, and I think I've solved it. Oh, is it by not picking up Necromunda stuff? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> because on the weekend I played in that big six-player game you played in, and I was just given a gang to play with by Axo. There were just two on the table and he said, which of these would you like to play with? And I picked one and it took me a minute to remember who was who. But by the end of even that one game, I remembered and they had different loadouts and I had just the best time with those. So I think that if I just got a box, arbitrarily picked a set of abilities, built my models per those and then that's what they had. I would just be maximally happy with that. Like, there could have been any number and there's no reason. And you said, like, you wouldn't know that it was the best way to do it. And I don't even just mean, like, optimal game-wise. I just mean, like, the best even for me. But all the other ways doesn't matter. Like, the one you have picked is going to be the best because it's the one you've got. It's good enough and you'll just be happy with it. So I would say that, Tom, you may need to buy one of every gang. (laughs) <laughs> um, I've got three so far oh wow <laughs> okay. um, but yeah I think seriously just going with it and just choosing not to worry about what could have been because what you do have on them will just be good enough and mm. the alternative is just not having a gang right like if you obsess over it forever yeah I, I think the, the good enough is a really good way of putting it actually that I, I think that I, it's easy to worry about, and particularly with so many strategy guides for various games out there, it's easy to worry about what might, people might call a trap choice or a bad choice. It's like, well, most of the time, for, and again, this is about leaning into the narrative, but most of the time it's probably still a reasonable choice. It's not necessarily the most optimal tournament-winning option. But, <laughs> yeah. And you're 
the moment you told us about in the game was two characters jumping down a ledge, one falling and crumpling and the other doing a double fall and crumple. Did it matter what loadout they had? No. They could have done that with literally anything. The only thing that mattered was that you had some Gangas. You could have done it something even more stupid if they'd had like a grappling hook or something. I don't know. But a, a lot of what comes from the game is just emergent from playing the game. Yeah. It's not even all that predisposed on the, the equipment, I think. And if it is, you kind of know that already. And you can just go like, well, I need someone to have this sort of grenade. Mm. But that's all you need to worry about, really. I would go even further than that, and I would say all of the best fun in skirmish games comes specifically from the little idiots who have crap guns. Like, no one is interested, really, in the story about how your veteran champion with a melter gun killed four people. <laughs> I mean, I'm now realising that sounds massively like a subtweet of Tom F, who's been <laughs> telling us about some of his... Um, Necromunder exploits recently is not supposed to be. I'm sorry, Tom. Oh. But it's really exciting when you have a story of how like your whole gang except one juve with a stub pistol died, and then your juve's gun jammed, but then they managed to like beat a champion to death with their bare fists or something. That's like the super fun narrative stuff for me. I'm not big into Necromunda, but watching you all have fun playing that giant game did really make me go maybe maybe a little bit of necromunda and there were so many stupid moments in that game i mean I, i've described my jumping off the board but there was also um the, the point where tom f's gang was just in a sort of firefight where they just keep miss kept they, they and whoever they were fighting against just kept missing each other <laughs> um there were so many people falling off ledges people climbing up and being shot so they fell off ledges, specifically so they fell off ledges was the entire purpose of shooting them and just going, can we make this jump? Can we make, not make this jump? And the so this, so we were, we were playing the, um, the game where there's all these gangs trying to escape the pit as it collapses around you. And the only survivor of the entire game, everything else either got killed by another gang or by falling masonry was a single corpse grinder cult um, character who yes. got onto this hovering gunship having managed to somehow climb to the top. Now that's emergent narrative. I think Tom F had a um, gang of a jet pack which almost made it as well and it was just a good game and I, my, my, my opening move of that game was to fire a frag grenade at a group of Tom F's gangers because they made the mistake of standing too close together. And it just went downhill from there, really. <laughs> JD, have you got any Necromunda experience or any other sort of skirmish game-related experience that you think is relevant? I feel like the thing with Necromunda, right? I mean, the caveat to this is that any what you get out of any war game is what you want to get out of it, or what's important is what you want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Necromunda particularly is like, it's so much more like narrative-focused. Like, um, So when I was building my Escher gang, um, I did look into like, oh, what's the best way to build an Escher gang? And then I saw that like a lot of the advice at the time was just give them all las guns, just give all of them las guns because they're amazing, and mm. you'll just and that's that's it, and you'll you'll do really well. But I thought, well, a that sounds quite boring, and also like then I read something else that was quite a negative, like play experience for your opponent, mm. and I thought, well, no, I don't, don't want to do that. That's 
defeats runs completely counter to what I want to get out of this. So then the way I built my gang was very much, well, I built mostly out of like, well, pretty much entirely out of what you get in the gang box. But I thought, right, what for each of these, each of these people is a character. What do I think, what's their story and what, what do I think is cool? So like my, uh, my second in command, I gave, I did give a las gun, but I thought, well, what if it was um, this cool sort of like sniper who is very vertically mobile um, and that's their whole deal. Like they don't do anything else. They just get into a high place and shoot people. So then that's, that determined the skills that I chose and extra equipment that I chose for them and all that kind of stuff. But even in kill team, like when I was building my first um, deathcore kill team, it was very much like, what do I think is going to be the coolest like thing to play with? So I, I picked the sniper, and it turns out the sniper in the, the deathcore sniper in kill team is ridiculous. But he looks cool as well, so you can just say that's why you picked him. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> I pick I picked the flamer, for example, as, as my special weapon, and the flamer in kill team. It's good against if I was playing against other guardsmen kill teams, the flame is amazing. But mostly mm-hmm. I, I've played against uh space marines or orcs or uh custodies or whoever else. And the flamer is useless against them, but it looks really cool and it fits my theme of like these guys who clear trench lines and stuff. So yeah, I think I don't know, that's my, my sort of approach to anything skirmishy, because for me, skirmishy games always feel more narrative than anything else. They can be competitive, definitely, but like for me, it is very much about I am creating here a cast of characters, and they are going to have the, in my head they have their own personalities, and they have here's the thing they do, here's the here's the scene from the war movie that this guy could be part of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think going back to your original sort of question, Tom, that kind of does wrap into what my answer would be, which is pick a gang that you like broadly, aesthetically, buy a gang box. Just build it as the instructions say, because all of those Necromunda gang boxes are really good in that the instructions will like tell you how to build a 10 model gang. And sure, like change the heads for the heads you think are cool or whatever, but build them like that. Play a couple of games with them and let what happens to them in the games influence your choice of skills and narrative and what you call them, like there's great potential for stupid pun names and things if if that floats your boat. And then, you know, look at the bits you've got left over on the sprue, look at how your gang performs. Would I really, I'd really like, like some more long-range firepower or close-range bruising, and that can sort of inform what you do. Like, I think almost every Necromunda gang, if we're staying Necromunda-focused, has like two different boxes available to it now, and most of them have like some resin weapon upgrades and stuff so you know if we're not focusing on like doing it on a budget i think buy the one box build it fairly plainly have some fun with it you'll still have those fun experiences and then as you want to add members to the gang or optimize it either optimizing for narrative or for like gameplay then you've got the route um warcry is similar i think warcry really specifically like those boxes generally have let's say like 1.5 ways of being built, like one way of being built plus one or two of the models will have options. And that's fun as well because you just sort of build them and then go, cool, there's a thousand point warband that I'm going to play with. Yeah. The, the silly thing with this um, idea of buying a box and getting gang is that my co- my actual current plan for Necromunda 
is to convert a my um, Death Corp of Krieg into a gang to run alongside the people who remember the old Rogue Trader kill team box from oh, the previous yeah. edition of Rogue Trader. There's the oh, I can't remember what Elusian Star Fast Striders or Star Striders or whatever. Yeah, Elucidian Star Striders, something like that. Like the Voids, yeah, men, right. The little yeah, sort of yeah. Rogue Traders private guard. Yeah, so I've got some of those. I'm going to convert some Deathcore into more of them and have a gang of those. Nice. That's sort of cool. out, outcast nobles of some type. Yeah. That's a nice idea because you've got some like single pose models in there that sort of basically have one way of being built. And then you've got the Krieg models have kind of a couple more options for weapons and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. just uh, get building. Yeah, and if I do it right, I should be able to use them for Kill Team as well. Cool. Any other skirmish game thoughts? Or shall we move on? Help, I now have Carnival. <laughs> yeah. A well, topic for another podcast. Yeah, I'd be interested in the future of hearing, uh, hearing your experiences with that. It's good to, good to look outside the GW ecosystem occasionally. Michael, what do you want to talk about? Um, On the weekend, after I finished my game of Age of Sigmar, I was classically a bit worn out by it and you're wandering around looking you know who else is looking for a game and stuff like that and i decided to bring my camera along my slr and i'd a few years back when we did the uh the meetups at warhammer world i'd taken some photos then with with that lens and really wide aperture to get the really short depth of field and i'd really liked some of those photos i'd taken then people said nice things about them and particularly liked seeing their models in that light where you don't normally see them like that so i packed this camera again and basically potted around people's tables and don't mind me is it all right if i get in and try and take some pictures and yeah through the aperture really wide and of course your models are on the table you've got bits of terrain in the way you know i can't properly see your dreadnought because there's a bit of a guardsman in front and stuff like that and half of it's out of focus and just grabbed some pictures like that and thought i'm not going to try and get things in focus things unblocked things proper color representation because those are the photos we all take of our models anyway right like every picture we take is somewhere aspiring to be like a good accurate representation of it really what if this wasn't that and yeah i took something like 200 photos over the course of the weekend a lot of those are just like you know you take four of the same picture just to try to try and get a good one of it um insurance yeah uh and then did the processing of that yesterday and got some really nice ones got some really nice sort of like moody pictures and stuff being out of focus gives it a bit of a sense of motion i know you were really happy with some i got of yours rich yeah amazing amazingly happy i think there's some um really like atmospheric shots of my timekeepers fighting Dines's black legion yeah and especially with one you've sort of thrown it into a, a monochrome black and white kind of yeah visual style and um that's now my desktop background <laughs> oh wow uh, but because cool. it's like a unit of assault intercessors charging a unit of chaos space marines they've like all got their chainsaws ready and um like the front just by coincidence from how they were laid out in the game 
the front assault intercessor is dropping the magazine out of his gun and has a new one in his other hand, like halfway uh-huh. up awesome. to the gun. And it it looks really dynamic because you've put them in that light that you don't, like you say, you don't normally experience miniatures in. Because I think we forget to look at them like that, right? Once we put them on a table and like, it won't always be optimal or whatever, but like sometimes you'll have that situation where they, they look just right with the enemies coming in there. But yeah. because if we take any photo at all, it's going to be like quite zoomed out. We're maybe getting the table state or we'll probably take it from above. We're not going to get down and take that picture. We forget about that opportunity there. I'm glad I had the inkling on the day before to pack my camera for it, but I'd forgotten just how effective like these pictures yeah. can be. That When you're playing the game, obviously you're playing the game for the game, but you've created all of these like really photogenic moments, but they're photogenic in a completely different way like don't try don't you're never going to take the best accurate picture of your mini when it's on a gaming table right the time to take that picture is like at home in a light box or outside or on your desk with a lamp pointed at it or whatever but there's the photos you can't take at home yeah um like when they're in the thick of it on the bow yeah i think it's easy to forget, like, one one thing I've said before is that really all of Warhammer is a tableau. And it's really easy to forget that when you're actually picking up models and moving them and measuring distances and rolling dice and stuff. You don't necessarily realise how cool it looks until, you know, you see that photo of them. So, like, for example, the the photo you took um, of uh, my Sigvald fighting um, a bunch of hex wraiths with Lady Alinda, like, lurking in the background. Yeah. It was really it was just so cool because it is because and purely that came out of gameplay where like Sigvald is sort of standing on this hill and these hex wraiths are just below him on at the at the base of the hill and it from the photo's perspective it looks like he's just looking down with this arrogant smirk mm-hmm. like this really imperious look looking down at these ghosts and it just oh, it's really evocative and just perfectly captures that character and then you've got lady olinda like with this gaunt look in the background looking on and it's yeah just excellent and yeah like you say the 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 monochrome photo of uh the black legion and the tome keepers is just such a great shot like with that yeah all all the chainsaws you can almost see like the the scene from the um the warhammer tv animation right mm. where the, they're running at each other chainsaws chainsaws revving and it, yeah, it just captures it in a way that it doesn't when you're actually looking at it on the table. But yeah, yeah maybe like it's mm. it's made me think that maybe I should, when I'm playing games, take more time to actually appreciate the board state in that way and like look at it as as like yeah a tableau. I think so. There were some which I was aware were going to be like pretty photogenic, and throwing some stuff in and out of focus would look good. So like. A lot of the ones between the Tome Keepers and the Black Legion did look that way. It's quite easy to see a few Space Marines going into Chainsaw, either some Chaos Space Marines or a big mechanical spider or whatever. Like I could see there was a photo there. I think like the Sigvald one, I had no idea what I got until I was looking at it on my computer afterwards. Um, there's one of a Space Wolf in a doorway with um, so Gazgul. I had no idea I'd got that. I'm in love with the picture I got from Necromunda of my Ganga standing in front of these pipes and there's just like a sense of scale and wonder. I looked at that and I was confused because I was like, who took this? I don't remember taking that. <laughs> like, I've, I've fluked a lot of this stuff, but it is just getting the camera down at table angle and letting it just like 
Rich, I remember I liked when you, I think it was you referred to it. It's like, oh, you're doing the tilt shift photos. Yeah, except it's actually small stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's where you take pictures of like real people and make them look like minis. I'm just taking yeah. photos of minis, but like phones are so good at putting everything in yeah. focus these days that we get quite used to it. You're almost doing the opposite, right? You're using like human portraiture techniques of like shallow depth of field and really narrow points of focus and then applying them to things at scale where it makes it look bigger almost like and more real. Yeah, and like I referred on this on Twitter to this as like this is re- um reportage style. Like yeah. it it's a style photographers use. You get it for like wedding photos when they're trying to get those candid photos and you know, <laughs> just potter around amongst your guests and get nice photos in amongst it. I felt like the the gallant war photographer there in your battles there I was. But <laughs> but like yeah, it's unlearning the some of the stuff I've had to try and learn to get good crisp photos. It's just like actually these are the easy photos to take you, you, if, if you're on your phone you'll need to make sure you throw the aperture wide it it might like resist it but it's not difficult and what's really good about these photos is and the style of it is look, looking for the photos you took it because i think that people are used to seeing images like that but of especially post dioramas and especially have people who put a lot of work into the background and the lighting of their setup so seeing that with models that we've all been using on the table is great. It's like, actually, we can make dioramas just by pu- putting our models in, in a particular orientation or whatever and, and taking a photo. And I, th- I think it, it's things like this which really make it feel actually... Because it, it, sometimes it feels like the, the level of skill and dedication from some of the really top-end displays you see is completely unachievable for someone like me. But I, I can get something which people can look at my models or any any of our models and go, oh, wow, that looks really cool. With a bit of set of a bit of time of thinking about how to photograph it and position them, or even, as you were saying, just how they are on the battlefield. And what's also really good is that it's a good reminder of, of how it looks to someone who's outside the hobby as well. Yeah, they can look at these cool painted armies, which we sort of almost take for granted, and go, "Oh wow!" Yeah, I think these photos are a really good answer to, or like, not answer, like a really good follow on to the people who, after you tell them they paint that you paint models, and they say, "What do you do with them afterwards?" and you say, "I make them fights." These are really good photos, sir show that in action i think i I mean actually it doesn't convey the reality of a warhammer game really but it does convey the sort of mood and the excitement of a warhammer game yes and why a warhammer game is more than rolling 2d6 charges yeah it's it's from because it's our minis on the table it conveys the mind's eye image that that we already have right like when so when when crondis is fighting a bloodthirster like in your mind in your mind's eye you know what that looks like because well to an extent but when you've actually got the photo of it in that way it's just i think that that sells it in a way that someone taking a photo on a phone can't so like um when when we were playing um you see you occasionally see someone come around and they've got their phone out and they'll take a photo or whatever and you think oh cool that's going to go in in the discord or whatever that's and i'll be able to look at that later but then seeing you come around with the full-on SLR and stuff, I got, <laughs> got quite excited. And uh, and um, but the best thing about it was that like 
there was no sense that we had to sort of stop what we were doing or try or make an effort to pose things it, yeah. it was just it felt very natural like very un- unintrusive and then yeah the end of it after after you know a day, a day or two we get this Flickr album of just <laughs> great photos that's just like oh that's that's so cool <laughs> i only i i think like the slr is good for communicating like i'm doing a serious photoing here but actually it's much more about the approach of getting the aperture wide not worrying about trying to get everything in focus not worrying about clean shots and getting down in there and i think like in so many things being good at a thing i took like 200 photos and there's some presentable ones there and everyone's bought into like these are messy and and whatever as you go up in the skill it's largely about bringing consistency to stuff this was the same when i was like used to try and take photos at sport like i could come away from a match and i'd have one or two really good photos that you could put up there with someone who who did this properly but there was no guarantee that i would get like the moment you wanted like there could be a wonder goal and i'd just completely miss it but i was like i'll have one good photo from that game and so, you know, there will have been beautiful battles at the weekend that I have no photos that I put on Flickr on because I attempted five and most of them were with my thumb. So it's like, <laughs> you know, whereas, you know, I got some brilliant ones from other games and that feels a bit unfair. But yeah, I'm, I, I go for the scattershot approach, very uh, quantity and then something will stick. I think it's really notable, actually, like vaguely remember from when I, we were playing that game on Saturday morning, big 40k game that you took some great shots off. I think I vaguely seeing a logical way. Somebody did. Yeah, it might, or it might have been one of us did. I think one of your opponents did that because they wanted it in shot. Yeah, but I think it's really notable that, yeah, effectively you were just taking photos of games in action. And actually, I must confess, I've got a load of terrain set up on my kitchen worktop at the moment and i've been like posing models to try and take some sort of similar style photos mm. and they look cool but like they just don't quite have the same vibe and so i think what i might actually do is go full shed and play like a thousand point game of 40k against myself over the course of a few evenings and then just like you know wander off for 30 minutes and come back and take photos of it rather than like thinking specifically about where I'm placing models from a photographic point of view. And I'm really interested to see like what impact that has. This is like a ridiculous thing, I think, to spend my time doing, but it might give me some cool photos. What, Warhammer? So, yeah, I know. Absurd, <laughs> right? A bunch of nerds. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound, Rich, you might as well. But like, yeah, there is definitely something to like, this is just the way they are. And I will take some photos of them and... I certainly, if I were, po- if I, I don't know, you may be able to post that stuff well. I know if I tried to pose it, it would look a lot worse. That is not a skill I have. Well, yeah, like product yeah. photography is a very specific thing, isn't it? Like posing it all properly and yeah. getting to golden angles and things. Whereas when you just take all of those decisions away and take some candid shots, then yeah, like you say, you came out with a bunch of nice photos. So maybe pose them take hours to do it and then tell us they were candid and we'll be like really forgiving of them <laughs> that's it or pose them all and then just grab the end of the board and like shake it a little bit oh <laughs> <laughs> and then take photos 
yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you wandering around with your camera, so thank you. <laughs> and I think next time I will probably bring mine as well. And do the yeah, that'd be great. And suddenly we'll all just be taking photos of each other with our cameras. <laughs> and we won't play <laughs> hammer anymore. <laughs> Everyone's minis will still be in their cases. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is this is now a photography podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a really candid reportage style photo of a Nikon DSLR taken on a Canon DSLR. <laughs> I, I just on, on the setup of things on in the games. One thing I think find really interesting is that when we're playing games, we do tend to just adjust our models a little bit just to make sure they're facing the right direction and interacting oh, yeah. and and. I think that just speaks to how any hobbyist feels about their army, that you're not just shoving them forward in the right direction and they're approximately right. You, you, if you notice that model's the wrong way around, you will turn it around for nine times out of ten, I reckon. They're my little guys, and I'm checking that they're all on the right track, you know? Yeah. They're all going the right way. They're going to fight some yeah. chaos. Right, well, we have been talking for a long time already. <laughs> um, <laughs> JD, what did you want to talk about today? Uh, I'll try and keep it brief. Or relatively brief. So, yeah, I wanted to sort of talk about making peace with losing games. Well, not necessarily that, but, like, being a good opponent, even when you're losing. Um, because over the weekend... So, I had had one game on the Saturday afternoon um, where I played my Slanesh versus Night Haunt. And about halfway through the game, I realised, like, Maybe I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but I did think, God, I I, I I'm being a real dick here. Um, wow. So well, so it was it was one of those things where like you're just having really bad rolls and just things just and nothing is going your way, and you get into that that mindset of like, there's nothing I can do about anything that's happening to me. And yeah, I got I got to a point where, and it was to be clear, it was never a case of me. I was never standing there going night haunter bullshit. Or whatever, because to be fair, that's not true. <laughs> like, you, yeah, you would have to have some incredible blinkers on to say that. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it was it was a, it was more a case of like, why is my army so shit? Why is nothing going right? Why why is my keeper of secrets whiffing every single attack it makes? All that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, about, I did get about halfway through the game and I had to sort of have that little moment to myself where I went, I'm being a bad opponent. And I should be a good opponent, so I need to reassess what's happening here and my, my mindset. And I sort of did over the course of about two minutes. I just sort of like made peace with what was happening, and then realised it was really. Then obviously it was it was actually helped by Michael coming around with the camera. It was like, man, this is just a really cool spectacle. Like it doesn't really matter what the result is. Really, it just looks cool. But yeah, it's just it's just sort of getting into that mindset, right? Of you need to make peace with what's happening because it's dice at the end of the day. Like it's all dice. Like you can you can prepare for it and you can think that your list is quite good. Although to be fair, playing a Slanesh, there's not not a lot of wiggle room at the moment <laughs> for you for your list to be really good. Yeah, but you're you're punishing yourself for pleasure, so that's that's what's happening, right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's it. It's, it's being the most Slaneshy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's role play. <laughs> But yeah, it was just that thing. It's like that thing of, um, you know, so not to get delve too deep into what my list is or does, but basically it's deep striking Sigvald. It's a Sigvald delivery system where at the start of the game, you can remove D3 units from the board and set them up at the end of your first movement phase at a board edge. 
and obviously the thing you do that with is Sigvald because he can charge really far and he's really scary because he hits stuff really hard. He does, and that's that. But that, and that's the long and short of it, really. But then when Sigvald comes on and whiffs his charge, and then you spend a command point to re-roll his charge, and he whiffs again, it's it's one of those things. That, okay, and then he gets pulled apart by ghosts, and it's just oh, oh, right. No. Okay, well that the the one thing my list does failed, and now now it's just a case of watch everything else die. <laughs> but yeah, I think if I like if I asked my opponent about it. Chart Kaloth for his amazing purple ghosts. It'd probably be a case of me. Probably I'm just being too hard on myself about it. But it's one of those things that I felt was super noticeable and then felt a bit bad about. And then, yeah, I feel like I turned it around. I just wanted to know if you guys had any similar experience or tips. Definitely have games where I realize that I'm being a moody bastard. In fact, in the big game of 40k I played on Saturday afternoon with our friend Luke, <laughs> I was just subconsciously, as as my space marines were being shoveled off the table at one point, like sat with my head in my hands, and he had to stop and go, are you okay? And I had to like, think about it and be like, actually, yeah, I'm having a really good time. I'm just <laughs> tired and also sad that my little men are dead, but... Yeah, sometimes you need the prompt of like realizing that it is noticeable to someone else to, or might be noticeable to someone else, I guess, to go like, oh, yeah, like I could just like literally all I really need to do is think more actively about I am playing a game and, you know, I'm having fun with my pal. And then suddenly it reframes it all. I think I would say that the fact that you are both conscious of your, let's say, alleged behavior. (laughs) 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 That makes it sound a bit grim, actually. But the fact that you were sort of conscious of it during the game itself and made effort to change and also sort of think probably you were being a bit hard on yourself probably means actually you're a really good opponent because like, I've definitely played people where they clearly do not give a shit how you feel about the game <laughs> so mm. um i would much rather someone is enjoying themselves but also like keen that their opponent is enjoying themselves as well how about anyone else yeah i i think that the time this is hardest is when you're feeling quite ground down by not by having a single thing going wrong but where you have a succession of things which are never going your way because i'm remembering a game i had a few years back where my my turns maybe took about 10-15 minutes my opponents took half an hour it felt like and it was just lots of little things like oh okay I'm failing that save I'm failing that save I'm just spending their turns taking my models to the board I'm really not enjoying that and I I suspect that came across by comparison the game I had against Tom F on Sunday of the last weekend in the first turn my Demon Prince, um, Narcetrix, who I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, charged across the across the board um, towards the tower battle line, and in Tom's turn was shot almost entirely to death by um, some a, tau, a, a single squad of tau, tau Fire Warriors, which is quite impressive because the number of six when, when you have an ability which is you automatically wound on sixes, and it felt like a third of the dice rolled were sixes. That will take a Demon Prince down. And 
but what was interesting was I didn't care at all about that. And because it was such a single thing, but I could easily see how had that been followed by a succession of other things going wrong like that, it could have been a much different story. And I'd need to have been quite vision of that. So, uh, and I hope that Tom, Tom F did enjoy that game. And we, we did end up being a really close game because I think we both had moments where we just looked in at the dice, we're like, what on earth is going on here for both on both <laughs> sides? Because ultimately, the dice are sort of going to swing one way or the other at different points in the game. That's what dice do. And it's just dispiriting when it's when you're very aware of every single dicey roll being bad or it feels that way. And it's the grinding down, I think, is the the issue. But I I don't feel I've had too many experiences like that. But I definitely recognise the feeling and I've had def- I've definitely had times where I've felt quite ground down and and frankly not respected the opponent enough to do anything about that. Whether that's something about me or, or something about my opponent is for the audience to decide. You've just got to remember, it's not your fault, it's not the opponent's fault, it's the little plastic cubes of betrayal. Yep. They hold such sway over us. <laughs> How about you, Michael? Any thoughts on this? Um, I think I get frustrated when I only like when I don't feel I was in control of it or something happened that I didn't think was a possibility. And then I remember that I just simply don't read rules. So <laughs> that doesn't feel like something I can blame anyone but myself for. So I've just had to deal with that. Like it's good with AOS now I I kinda understand mostly when I'm putting myself in a situation there and I kinda know what's possible. Uh and I know I'm bad at the game and I run bad lists. So <laughs> the expectation is I will lose my stuff there. Necromunda was a little bit I did an attack and then was told like, Oh, I get to ignore the first one like one per turn. It's like, well I'm only shooting you once this turn. I got a little bit sad for a moment. But yeah, as long as I do that and I know what I've gone into a game looking for, which at this stuff was just to tell stories, have a laugh, roll some dice and see what happens. And when we go to like the Brotherhood team tournament will be to do some of that and ideally pick up a win. As long as I know what I'm looking for in a game, I can keep putting myself back to that and going, what am I trying to achieve here? And is fluffy on my rolls and losing my 600-point muzzle, does it jeopardise that? And normally it doesn't jeopardise what I'm going to have fun with, so it's fine. Sure. That's a good way of looking at it, I think. The, like, hoping for a win, I think, is a really interesting one, because I've definitely been to team events in the past with, like, our group of friends going, just get, like, a win, or, like, a couple of wins, and... I think this probably this probably now is like a scathing analysis of my own personality. <laughs> but I find either you get one and you're like, oh, maybe I could get two. Maybe I could get a positive record uh, and you reset the boundaries. Or you like don't get one until the last game. And so your end result is you got what you went in looking for, which was one win. But you spent four of those five games going like, I'm not getting what I want. And that's... Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting bit of self-analysis. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you should just be like, yes, I'm playing Warhammer. This is fun. This person I'm playing against is hopefully nice. And I think the more, for me, at least like the more events I go to, the broader percentage of people I play, I have at least like encountered somewhere before. And that is, um, I guess, useful for like 
not going into a game worrying about whether you also like absolutely dislike this person or they're a really mean player. And I think the odds of that are obviously vanishingly low at an event or indeed anywhere. I think that's that's it as well, right? Is that like I think I'd I'd have dealt with it a lot less well if my opponent had also been a dickhead. But I mean <laughs> but I mean in in our community, like with with our community events and stuff, that's no one is. Everyone's, you know, all my opponents for the weekend were really nice and, and lovely. You know, there was no wrong-ins because just that's not the environment we cultivate. So, you know, it's it's, it's never going to really happen. So, yeah, it, makes, it, it does make it a lot easier to deal with when, like, your opponent's just really nice about everything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to stay miserable when the person opposite you is also having a lot of fun, right? And... Clear, especially when they clearly think they're having a lot of fun with you jointly. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's a, a solid chunk of podcast. I could not think of like a heavy discussion topic, so I'm opting instead to do a shout out. And my shout is going out is going to be for the Warhammer Forty Thousand Tempest of War cards, which I played a game with over the weekend, and. They're very good. So, yeah, small community podcasts giving a shout-out slot to the multi-billion pound company. <laughs> That's uh... for, for the cards, which I believe are sold out everywhere. Yep, for the product you can't currently buy. But I'm hoping they do come back. They're super, super good. And although like, I've only played one game with them, I feel like they've really revitalised the way I want to approach 40k for the most part. Because I find the picking of secondary objectives and preparing for like quite complex missions like very off-putting and with the tempest of war a bit like open war cards for various systems before you basically like draw a scenario draw a deployment and then a bit like the objective cards from previous editions of 40k you kind of like draw up to three each turn and try and achieve them and there'll be things like at the end of your turn have two things in your opponent's territory or hold the objective in your territory and one objective in no man's land and those interactions might be really different depending on the deployment and the main mission that you're trying to achieve but it just creates this kind of like recyclable deck of things and i think they're about 20 quid but they're nice big chunky cards and you get a deck for each player within there as well so you have like a generic deck of deployments and deck of primary missions and then each player gets a deck to draw their turn by turn secondary missions from and yeah it just it took so much mental strain off and meant i could actually have like a fun game where if i needed a hint of what i was trying to do i could literally look at a card that was on the table next to me rather than like going back to my list and saying oh i've chosen oaths of moment and then having to scroll to a page in my book that tells me what that is and then having to inexplicably flip back past the Crusade rules section to get to the rest of the match play rules in my book. I just found it like a really nice way of having a not completely open play game with like a pointed out list, but without taking it too seriously. So yeah, if you're into 40k, boom. Because I was looking at them as a thing that was to play with, because I haven't particularly played matched play in ninth edition i play crusades because i find that the secondary objectives in particular i'm aware that there's a lot of choice and and again i get i get analysis paralysis around it but this very much feels like actually 
are being a bit more of a relaxed. You can't quite control what you get, but you still have the options of how to, how to do it. Sounds like it could be really, really good as a way of, of playing for me. So I, I think I saw them being played with in the game on Saturday and thought, oh, I'll have to pick some of these up. And I went into, I was sort of checked in the shop ne- next door to where we were playing. It's like, oh, they haven't got any. Yeah. Nowhere has any. I did the same and then... I I was chatting to Luke and he, yeah he suggested we sold out. I think actually chatting to him they might currently be available on the GW web store. Um, I'm not making that promise and I'm also not going to type and check while I'm uh, while we're recording a pod. But um, yeah I think they're out there. Like I don't think they're the GW card based products of old where there's like one printing and and bust kind of thing. So hopefully they're available. Hopefully we can get hold of a. As as of as of recording, they are currently available on the GW web store. I've just had a look. There you go. So oh. I might I might buy some now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that might be a payday treat on Thursday for me. Mm, I I will have to um, throw some into the purchase I make of some ash wastes at the weekend when it goes up for pre order. Very nice. Oh, which t- timing that when that we, when we record this podcast here? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for dating us. I mean, there's nothing time sensitive <laughs> at all, but. cool well um any other quick shout outs anyone had planned or shall we close this fucker down (laughs) michael is nodding sagely (laughs) 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 okay so thanks very much for listening to the tiny plastic people podcast we are tiny plastic people you can find us at tinyplasticpeople.com that's our website we have articles from various contributors up on that site the flow of articles i'll be honest can be sporadic but there's some really nice writing there about terrain and army projects and inspiration and a few kind of getting started guides so feel free to go and check them out we also host podcasts there so we have our let's say roughly monthly tiny people podcast <laughs> at the point where this goes out we will also have just released a horus heresy special where a few of us discuss the impending new edition of the Horus Heresy and what our hopes and dreams for it might be and indeed by this point like as you're listening to this I imagine that that will have been revealed at the Warhammer Fest reveal stream in more detail so hopefully that podcast is in your ears before that happens Uh, and we are now also hosting a sort of semi-matched play focused Age of Sigma podcast featuring me so I'm inclined to promote it <laughs> and also uh, contributors Laura and Matthew so that's called 3 and 2 and that's just hosted on the main TPP feed as well if you want to get in contact with Tiny Plastic People you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Tiny Plastic Pals or you can email us at thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com and you know, send us some questions. We'll answer questions on the podcast. I think the last episode, two episodes ago of our podcast, we had some questions being answered. It's really nice to hear from people and then, you know, for some reason think that they want to hear what we have to say about their specific questions. So, <laughs> yeah, keep them coming. You can also email us there about, you know, anything more important, like content that you'd like to see or things we said that you don't agree with. Don't do that one, actually. No, that's what your personal Twitter's for, right, Rich? Our, our, our yes. fragile egos can't really take being challenged. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's what my personal Twitter's for, obviously. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, if people will want to 
for example, see your lovely Crondis, Michael? Where could they go to see that? Well, that will be on my Twitter and Insta, which is rogue underscore Michael, because really I only post there when I'm trying to get on the roundup, and I was trying to get on the roundup. So yeah, nice. And presumably, if someone were to go to one of those and not see something they were expecting to see, uh, you'd email it to them. So absolutely, yeah. I just <laughs> yeah, just um. I've got a botnet and I just spam people with photos of Crondus. Have you seen my dragon? <laughs> Have you seen this dragon? It's not missing, but fucking look at it. <laughs> <laughs> there's something there because because he's Dragoneth Prince. There's something there with a scam email that uh... <laughs> we'll workshop this offline. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Tiny Plastic People podcast episode seventeen is where we take a hard turn into sketch comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, JD, where could people locate you on the internet if indeed that is something that you want to allow them to do? I am on Instagram at uh, jd.paints and I very rarely post there, but I should probably put some more stuff on there. You should post some pictures of all the Celeste stuff that you finish because that army (laughs) looks really good on the table. And at the very least, you should steal Michael's photo of your Keeper of Secrets and upload that. Uh, Yes, that may be something I do if that's okay with Michael. Tom, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram as Respectable Geek. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to abuse me on Twitter, you can find me at Rich Nutter or on Instagram at RJ Nutter, although I almost never post there. And when I do, it's quite often just pictures of my stupid cat. So, Which is the best hobby content, really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great. Well, yeah, we've been Tiny Plastic People. Go listen to all our other shit. Uh, bye. <laughs> bye. See you later. <laughs> bye. <laughs> We're doing this one entirely in tune, by the way.